Welcome back to the Fresh Expressions podcast. I'm Heather Jalad. And I'm Gannon Sims. And today we are in episode nine of this season of the Fresh Expressions podcast. And we are talking about the hope that we have uh, that comes from the Black church. Really, they have some unique lessons to share with us uh, for the entire post-Christendom church, uh, some things that we need to hear. I know uh, really the the resilience and the perseverance that has uh, really had to be a part of, of the Black church as it is today is so significant in the face of adversity and has so many lessons to offer us uh, in the church today. Gannon, uh, tell us a little bit about your conversation. So yeah, I, I spoke with Dr. Joy Moore, and Joy serves as the uh, vice president uh, for academic affairs at Luther Seminary, and and Joy is a professor of preaching, uh, a, a narrative preacher, a, a, a person who engages the grand story that mm-hmm. is Scripture, and sort of takes the arc of Scripture to help the church go somewhere. And and frankly, um, the the Black experience in many ways in in the United States, as as she explains it, is akin to that journey from slavery to freedom. And so Mm. how can the church learn from this story? And how can the church really, we're being led by Jesus in all things, but how can some of us take a little tap on the brakes and look uh, to our brothers and sisters in the Black church for some leadership uh, in this time? I think if we do, it'll be uh, to our benefit. Amen. I look forward to that conversation. Welcome you back to this episode of the Fresh Expressions podcast. I'm Gannon Sims, and I'm joined by Dr. Joy Moore. And Joy serves as the Vice President for Academic Affairs and the Academic Dean at Luther Seminary. And it's it's an absolute a privilege. We've gotten to know uh, Dr. Moore over the years, and uh, particularly as we've um, been engaged in a project that we we call the Future Church Convocation, looking at uh, the future of the Black Church in America. And um, Dr. Moore, it's great to have you. It's wonderful to be back. Thank you for having me here. So I want to get, maybe say a little bit uh, first of all about uh, who you are and your own your own journey. Ah, uh, thank you for that. Um, let's see. I like to say I was born. Nine months after my life began, but I've got too many years to start back that far now. So uh, I like to describe myself as a um, uh, an ecclesial storyteller, and that engages the power of community forming communication. Uh, that is the identity that is shaped by a shared story, and by story, I mean the rehearsal of. Uh, influential experiences um, or encounters and events uh, which shape the per- the perspective of a people. Uh, sometimes these are stories of individuals, but the most meaningful ones that seem to survive for generations are the ones that tell, I don't know, how I met your mother. Okay, yeah, I just made a reference to a television show. <laughs> Uh, But long before the flickering pixels, people have gathered in the dark around campfires to listen to the wisdom of those whose journeys we desire to imitate. 
So long before Captain Marvel, or should I say Marvel? Okay, now I really am digressing. Before <laughs> Captain Marvel uh, transgressed, uh, uh, tra- traversed the galaxies, Harriet Tubman journeyed between the North and the South. And, and Harriet Tubman's story is a story of a community of people, um, just as Captain Marvel is one of the entire Marvel universe, that those stories intersect to shape a community of folks who would be against DC comics. You know, we, we've got our own little worlds, um, but they shape our understanding of how we see the world. So before dip, different worlds, if I go back to television, expose the experience of a co-ed at college, the four Hebrew boys graduated top of their class on an ethnic scholarship to Babylonian University. And you've got to know your Bible to catch that reference. <laughs> and you have to really know your Bible to recognize that um, it was four Hebrew boys. Daniel was one of those three, um, which makes four in that story from uh, uh, the uh, Babylonian exile. Um, and it basically, my story has been shaped by my parents, my grandparents, my teachers, my Sunday school teachers, all those who narrated me in to the community of faith. And in my particular community, it was an African-American community that truly believed that the people of God are every people, every tongue, every nation who accept Jesus Christ as Lord. So that, that, that's who I want to be. I want to be an ecclesial storyteller. That's fantastic. Because I feel like a, a lot of folks out there, you know, thinking about how we navigate the way forward in the life of the church. They're they're reading Pew studies, uh, business books, and nothing wrong with these things. They're 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 informative on many levels. Um, but if we are being grafted into a story that has changed the world, I, I'm I'm wondering if you can kind of uh, invite us, um, maybe even through, you know, uh, uh, theology of slavery to freedom or through, you know, the the Old Testament narrative through story into helping our larger audience understand the the power of story and and how it shaped the the black church experience, really, and and your own, um, so that we can, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, we cannot believe what we first don't imagine. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think I think a lot of folks out there need a deeper um, and more robust imagination for the future. So with that, <laughs> say more. Wow. Uh, yeah, that that's a wonderful context for the question, because in many re- in, in many ways, what um, I, I, I speak in circles sometimes with folks who wouldn't call themselves a Christian or call themselves even um, in our current culture, uh, they wouldn't even say they were theistic. Um, uh, Diana Butler Bass says we live in a post-theistic world. And so for those of us who are, are, are part of faith, a part of our, our job is to narrate the reality of God. And um, for uh, the uh, Judeo-Christian uh, world, or the way it's narrated in scripture, uh, it's the creator covenant-making God. And, uh, and so 
I sometimes refer to it as an ancient story. Um, it's our scripture, but but what it means to be shaped by this ancient wisdom. And it gives us a perspective of the world. It gives us an, a, a way to imagine the world that is not what we see, but is the hope of something more, of something better, of something good. Uh, and, and so um, the way the uh, Black church uh, historically was formed um, was taking that biblical narrative, not, not the indoctrination of that slave Bible that the enslavers used to cut out portions that try to indoctrinate a people to say, this is your, this is your um, predetermined, predestined identity in the world. But when they got a hold of that book and began to read the narrative, they began to say, this is, this is a God who has created humanity in the divine image. And this God literally sent one man up against the most powerful empire and to free a people that God had created. And I use that word intentionally because there were no Jews when that old couple, Abraham and Sarah, were selected to be the foreparents of a nation that would be a blessing to all those nations in Genesis 11 that were scattered across the earth. And so this story is a story of God who loved the world. And, and that love didn't start when Jesus, you know, was having a conversation with the Samaritan woman and said, yo, God, daddy, we, we need to think bigger about this. This was God's intention from the very beginning. And, and, and so the black church was formed not by the principles of indoctrination, but by this ancient story that says humanity, all the world, created in the image of God, and this God literally would move heaven and hell to um, uh, dismantle a, um, a I, I want to use a, a, a word that leans into our contemporary world, that would dismantle an inhumane labor system. Because if we begin to think of it not just as ancient slavery, whether that's Egyptian slavery mm -hmm. or the modern Western slavery of, of, of Africans in the Western world, but what it means to have inhumane labor practices that marginalize people, yep. that oppress people. When we read that story like that, it becomes life-giving. And that's the way the Black church, the Negro church, first read scripture and I think that's the way we need to read scripture again today, not for rules or hashtags, mm -hmm. but actually to say, how can I see the world in a way that I'm not living right now, but that I might be able to create or participate in that gives me hope? That's fantastic. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of keep threading the needle to maybe say something about hope in recent history. Where, where have you seen hope in, say, the last couple of years? It's, it's been a rough one uh, for lots of communities. Um, 
and and despite that, I'm I'm wondering where we where we might see even even the black church paving a way, a hopeful way forward. Indeed, indeed. Um, and I'm I'm going to start not with hope. Fine. Uh, um, and and the reason I'm going to do that is I think we need to realize um, something that is missing in many of the ways that people are gathering right now. So uh, in the midst of COVID. Um, someone said this uh, to me a few months ago, and it really, really struck me that in the midst of COVID, we've been able to gather for protests. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not supposed to be going to the theater or to, uh, to you know, basketball games or, or entertainment or things like that. But we have been able to protest. We've been able to raise our voice to say, what we see is not right. Yeah. It's the biblical narrative that tells us what is right, what is just. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently had the opportunity to go to the African American History Museum in Washington, D.C., just, just a month ago. And um, um, it was really interesting to me to read the words of James Baldwin, the words of Martin Luther King, and then to see that these words were written by 19th century Africans who had been enslaved, where they recognized that that America was founded on principles of justice, of liberty, of the pursuit of happiness. And yet she failed to be that because no government, no nation has ever been that truly good. But those people, when they got a glimpse of the biblical promise of the creator God, whose reign is one of a multicultural, multi-ethnic, intergenerational, uh, men and women together, finding good, being free, finding equality, that that biblical promise is the hope that transformed um, the 19th century slave uh, trade and, and, and dismantled that. And it goes back to what Paul was doing. Too many people miss that what Paul was doing in a Greek and Roman culture that was set on a caste and a class system that divided people where women were less than human. And and that imagination was preserved in that culture of Greek and Roman society. And Paul spoke against it as he began to fully understand that it wasn't Jews against the world. It was the Jewish nation as a nation that was the promise of blessing for all the nations. And so when Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, he was forming the imagination to say those who are baptized in Christ form a peculiar people that actually are liberated, that actually can be free and equal. And that imagination formed the church that changed the world. And they didn't follow Roman policy. People were like, why do you guys eat together? Right. 
you know, it wasn't, why do you guys get together for an hour once a week to <laughs> sing stale songs? It was, why are you living together? And, and, and we've lost that. And, and so a part of the loss of hope is when we thought that what Martin Luther King did was start a civil rights movement. No, what Martin Luther King did was to use the language of the American uh, Bill of Rights and Constitution and translate it through the biblical witness of what is truly good, God's righteousness for every nation, every tongue to, to journey together toward peace. And when we stop being a nation and start being followers of Christ who are a glimpse of God's community in the world, that is what becomes hopeful. And I think the Black church has done that under times of oppression, under times of marginalization. And if our protests today are simply Black Lives Matter, and I know I'll get in trouble for this, but if it's simply Black Lives Matter, then we are simply taking the bad system and flipping who has power. Instead, we need to do what Nelson Mandela did in South Africa, is to say that system of power over is not a good system, even if it's my people who have the power. The real system is a system of equity for everyone. And that was the creator's intention from the very beginning. As we think about power mm. uh, and the right use of power, um, I want us to go on a little exploration around um, uh, evangelism, a Christian discipleship, Christian witness. I think some would say that. Uh, the the character development of life of the Christian disciple that would come about through a quote power move, um, but but how might we help the audience understand that the winsome witness of uh, the faith? It's not a I, I fear that a lot of people see you know discipleship or evangelism as a as a, a doing to and not alongside, I guess, I want to say. So well, something about um, how the, through the lens of the gospel, we can reinterpret power um, in, a, in a hopeful way. So that, that makes me think of a, a couple of things. Uh, one is um, often when we try to cross a bridge, um, um, different worlds, what, whatever those differences are, uh, political, um, wh whatever modifier we put uh, to uh, fit ourselves into our culture, when we try to cross that economics, gender, race, ethnicity, um, uh, what college you went to, you know, uh, what baseball team you, you, you root for, when we try to bridge that by simply saying, um, we need to be friends, we haven't found what we have in common. Mm -hmm. So, so why do we need to be friends? Just yeah. because you said it, yeah. there's no reason. What discipleship is, is coming together about what we share in common 
and and it's a call to say if I am going to be truly human, and, and what it what what being truly human is, God donated divinity to dirt. Mm. God labored over a lump of clay and gave us the birthmark made in the divine image. Yeah. So to be human is to be what we see in the person of Jesus when God took on human flesh and walked on earth with us. That, that's what we were created to be. So discipleship is, as you said, walking together so that we can be what we were created to be. So I have the privilege of uh, participating in a fellowship of pastors in the Wesleyan tradition uh, that's formed by the World Methodist Foundation, um, World Methodist Evangelism. And in an echo of the old ecclesial orders, uh, we're called the Order of the Flame. Oh. Uh, little Wesleyan uh, Holy Spirit nod sure. there. Uh, and, and in addition to meeting yearly uh, for a global gathering, pastors are mentored and engage in multicultural practices of worship and witness in the communi- communities where we serve. And, and, and so particularly over this last year, I've been able to participate um, in worship online um, with pastors around the country who I know because we gather uh, in this group. And I get to see how they interact in their communities. But what brings us together across racial, uh, across gender, across um, nationality, uh, across denominational, because we're Wesleyan, but we're broadly Wesleyan. So Nazarene, Free Methodist, AME Zion, AMEZ, uh, United Methodist, um, Salvation Army, you know, it's broadly Wesleyan. What brings us together is not we have to get together because we're different, but we're trying to live out this call to be faithful witnesses to what God is doing in the world in a broken time, in, in, in a time of hurt and, and harm and, and hunger and helplessness. But, but in our communities, we're, we're, finding, we're finding people that will pray with us, long to get together so we can actually have communion together. Uh, and so we do that. And then we go back and we practice that in the spheres of influence where we serve. And, and what brings us together is this old Wesleyan idea of classes and bands. Uh, I recommend a book uh, by Scott Kisker and Kevin Watson, who are are bringing together again that old idea that that Wesley believed you have to be in accountability groups. You can't just you know say once a week I hear the story and then I go and try and live it. It's like I've got to be in a group of people who are going to ask me, and how'd you hold yourself to accountable to this? And do I trust you to be honest to say I'm struggling here? And that's what we do. Um, it's hard to fight with someone if you eat with them. And, and I think communion, we've forgotten that it's not just remembering Christ's act, but it's actually breaking bread together. And um, it's hard to fight with someone when you're praying with them because their mother died or their daughter has COVID. 
or they've lost a job or, you know, the, the, the realities that we're living with right now. Um, I, I live in, in the Twin Cities. Um, when George Floyd was, were, was murdered, there were children who watched that happen. You know, years ago, children watched lynchings happen in the streets. And this happened in 2020. When you pray with someone who's trying to raise up the next generation not to hate because that happened in their lifetime, when you're praying for that, it binds you together. And that's what community does for us. That's discipleship. It's not reading a book and discussing it in our head. It's being on the journey together through the wilderness with the promised land in our imagination long before it's in sight. And we do that through mentoring, and we do that as discipleship. And so what word would you say uh, to, say, leaders in the Black church uh, to encourage them to lean into this uh, discipleship journey? Um, for for uh, one another, but also as an example, I guess, for the, yeah. the larger church. So as we're recording this, um, it's um, just after the Martin Luther King celebration of Dr. King's birthday and just before um, um, uh, Black History Month. And, and that's a time when we turn our attention to the unique stories of the African-American community. And I think one of the things that it's worth us recognizing um, if if we get the opportunity to to watch Ava DuVernay's uh, version of Selma, her movie Selma, um, now she takes some you know license with that story, but the truth of that story is that Martin Luther King was able to be successful because it wasn't just a black movement; it was a movement where People of other races and other religions recognized the humanity that he was asking for uh, and and joined. And and that idea came from the black church, if if I think of him not as a civic leader, but as a pastor. And I think we're uniquely poised to do that again. We live in a cancel culture. We live in a culture that is, again, indoctrinating us to modify our identity so that we're divided. And I think leaders in the Black church in particular must recover the mantle of saying, what we're doing is for all God's people. And our story reminds us of what it means to be outcast and oppressed. And to instead of taking the government's indoctrination or even the academy's indoctrination, but believing that the Creator God has created us in the divine image. And we're going to remind all people of that. And so, if we take this peculiar task as leaders of the Black church to say, the Black church at its best is an example of what all the church at its best should be. And that is reaching out for everyone to know 
that they are created in the divine image. And when they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, they can be a glimpse of a community where the Holy Spirit so evidently abides that people say, I want to be a part of that. What is it about you? I, 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 think, I, think, that, I think that's the unique opportunity that we have. And if I use Paul again, that's what Paul did. Paul went, you know, to Corinth and to, to, to Rome and to Galatia. And, and he wrote these letters to say, you can't be like the Roman and Greek culture. You've got to be what God is calling us to be. And I think that's what we are challenged to do. And, and so um, I, I literally just told a friend of mine this who is, is a person who is identified according to our culture as white. And I, and I say that because white is a 400-year-old or a 500-year-old construct, social construct. Uh, the Bible doesn't have that category. And, and so when I have to identify as Black, it's because people still have to identify as white. And, and I was challenging my friend to say, what if we both just identified as Christian? That the success of the church is when we come together to be imitators of Christ, not when we try to be good white Americans and good black Americans, or good black Africans and good white Europeans. It's when we try to be good Christians. And that is not what the world is telling us to do. And the black church leaders, we have a unique opportunity to demonstrate that. There's a, there's a church, I'm going to call out a church if I can do that, okay. uh, in Palo Alto, um, uh, California. Um, uh, it's a university AME Zion church. That's a historic black congregation. And, um, the pastor there has been a leader in the community. And apparently, apparently there is, uh, a Palo Alto, a community that is an African-American community. And then there's Palo Alto, the city that is a university town. Um, and when people find out that he's a pastor in Palo Alto, because he's African-American, the first thing they think is that he's in the black community. And he has to tell them, no, I'm the pastor in the city. And his church, which is an AME Zion church, a historic black church, is a church to the university community. So it literally is every nation, every tongue, every tribe of folks that are going to Stanford. And people often think that multicultural churches are when churches who have historically been of whites invite others to come to them. And what if what we do is what Paul did and said, you know, you're a congregation in Corinth. And that means every ethnic group, Corinth is like Southern California. Or, or, or New Jersey, where every ethnic group has come to that coastal region for the entertainment, for the philosophies or education, and for the commerce. And Paul says, every nation, every tribe, in the name of Christ is one. We're just like those first century cultures. And what if we do that in the name of Christ 
to disciple communities, not to be a nation that is multicultural. We are failing. We have continued to fail when we do this as a a civic order. But when we see glimpses of it working, it's always when the people of God are faithful to the mission of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And I think that's the challenge for us today. Amen. Wise words. Uh, We're with uh, Dr. Joy Moore on the Fresh Expressions podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here, Dr. Moore. Fresh Expressions is a worldwide movement of everyday missionaries who want to see churches thrive in the places we eat, play, work, and yes, even in our traditional churches. To learn a simple five-phase process for starting a new expression of church, go to freshexpressionsus.org backslash how to start. The Fresh Expressions podcast is hosted by Gannon Sims and me, Heather Jalad. It's edited by Joel Limbaum and produced by Kathleen Blackie and Chris Morton. Our national director is Dr. Christopher Backert. If you've learned something or been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and share this episode on social media. Now, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that God's ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations.